I've got literally hours left with my son before he graduates. I mean, he's graduating in December. He's graduating early. He's one of those people that are going to be in Haiti for uh, several months. And so I'm having that, that uh, existential reality of my son is leaving and I haven't taught him anything. That, that, that fear of, of, I wish that I would have given more time to pour more into him. Does he know how to, does he know how to change a bike tire? I mean, how could he go leave the house without knowing how to change a bike tire? And having those kind of minor micro freak out moments and then realize, you know, does he know how to change a spare tire? Yes, he knows how to change a spare tire. That's good. But then as I'm going through this, one of the things I'm, I'm realizing, I'm making lists of the most important things that I could possibly pass on to my son. And one of the things that, that I, I recognize is one of the most important things I want him to have. Because as a parent, if you value something, you want to pass that on. And it's up to your kid whether or not they're going to accept it or not. But one of the things that is absolutely imperative for me to pass on. And it's not just I'm a, because I'm a pastor, but it's a perspective on the church. And, and to be able to answer the question, how big a deal is the church? And for the answer to be massively, massively important. But to be honest, that'd be a tough sell if you look at my son's generation. That'd be a tough sell if you looked at my generation if you're in Generation X, or uh, even previous generations. Because what we would see, we're seeing in our country, at least, in the 50s and 60s and 70s or so, we started to see, like, all of a sudden, things started to go down. Right around, you have the 50s and the 60s, all of a sudden, you start to see gradual, slow decline. And all of a sudden, you get into the 90s, and then the 2000s, and it went like this, and it just is free-falling ever since. Not globally, but this is the weird thing. In countries that aren't white, <laughs> um, Christianity is exploding and the churches are, 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 are just going gangbusters. But in Western civilization, most notably United States of America, we have this radical drop-off taking place. And honestly, a lot of people would say, well, right around here, that's when the new atheists surfaced, uh, Hitchens and uh, these guys, Dawkins, and, and that's possibly the reason why. But the truth is, is that a lot of people would point to the fact that it's not that they've jumped into atheism or agnosticism. It's not like they totally disbelieve. It's just that they, not that, they're not that big a fan of church. Dan Kimball wrote a book it was called, They Like Jesus But Not the Church, responding to this very fact. It's, uh, it's not that people would say that they're against Christ or Christianity at all. Uh, they might even find themselves and identify as being a Christian. But the connection to the church is like, yeah, but I mean, come on. And I believe that there's lots of reasons for this, but there's three primary ones. And, and honestly, these three primary reasons have a lot to do with people like me. We're the problem. Pastors, church leaders, we have done something to the church that didn't happen here. It started way before here that has caused the church to be something that if you are my son's age or my age, you're kind of like, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. And one of the first thing that we've done to it is we've made it into this. How many of you were the kid when you were in Sunday school or even at, you're at school school or whatever, and your teacher like had these little like, you know, stickers, these, these, these you know, and then she put them on next to your name and you were the kid that as you saw those gold stars go, you're like, <gasps> and it actually, you were the person that you really loved seeing the gold stars. How many of you were like the gold star people? Okay. How many did not care one ounce about the gold stars because you never got them? Guy, I see that hand. Okay. Yes. Okay. So what we've done though with church is this, you know what? If you're good, you go to church. I'm a good Christian, that's why I go to church. Look at my attendance. I go to church. I'm a good person. And you know what? Uh, if you don't go to church, you're probably not. 
which has conditioned our culture to say, you know what, I made some pretty sketchy decisions. I made some terrible moves. And because of that, as much as I believe in Jesus, as much as I believe in God, I can't go back there after what I did. Here's what I'm going to do. When I get things fixed in my life, when I get my world straightened out, then I'll be okay to return to the gold star neighborhood where I can finally feel like I qualify. And people have rejected that version of church, and it's so good that they did, because that's bogus. That is messed up. That is a messed up way of viewing church. Another reason people um, are dropping off in droves nationally in our country with the church is because we treat church like an elective class, like my electric shop class in, in junior high. I loved my electric shop in class in junior high. I love the opportunity to be able to choose a class and not just be dictated. You have to take this class and this class. So for me, my elective class shop, my electric shop class was right between classes I hated. And it was like one little thing like that. That was a nice little like reprieve from the rest of the garbage I was learning in junior high. I loved it. But I never thought that this was going to be central to my life. I wasn't going, I'm going to, cent- I'm going to electric shop because this is my career choice. I'm going to be an electrician. No. My parents were so excited when I went to electric class just because I probably wouldn't burn down the house. But that, that was it. This was not, I, I would say, well, electric shop, I'm not going to be an electrician, but I, I just like the class. I mean, it's, it's a good class. I go there and, you know, it's cool. I, I enjoy it. It's good. It's not central to who I am. I'm not, gonna, I'm not an electrician, but it's good. And a lot of people have done that with church. No, I'm not against Jesus. I'm not against Christianity. I like, I mean, I like it. It's just, it's, it's kind of like, a, it's like an elective. You go or, or you don't. I mean, it's, it's kind of not a big deal. It's not like it's central to your life. We've got lots of things that are central to our lives, our family, our work, our hobbies. Those are center. Church is an elective class. It's, it's, it's nice. It's not bad. It's not bad. I really do enjoy it because between the garbage in life, every once in a while, man, it just feels really, really good to go to church. But it's not like central. It's an elective class. And we've treated church that way. Hey, man, if you can show up every once in a while, that's awesome. We just are so grateful just to have you here. And we've conditioned and people, yeah, it's pretty good that I actually pulled myself out of bed today. Where is my gold star? We've also, uh, people have like avoided church because um, people in my line of work have made church out to be this place that is very sometimes adequately and appropriately been classified as a hate-filled place or a bigoted place or, or if, if maybe people are, um, in my son's generation or my generation would even say, you know, the reason I don't go to church is I, it's not that I don't believe in Jesus. I just don't want to be associated with that tribe of people, this angry, yeah, just they seem like they're, they're more of what they're against than what they're for. And I, I want to be a Christian without having to associate with them. You know what I mean? And so a lot of people, when they're ans- answering the question, how big a deal is the church? We give the answer, <laughs> it's cool, it's not that big of a deal. And that is a catastrophic misunderstanding of the church. That is a catastrophic misunderstanding of the church. And the catastrophic misunderstanding of the church is not catastrophic because that's how the world views the church. The catastrophic misunderstanding is that that's what Christians believe. And that perspective is not fueled by anything but culture. It's not fueled by scripture. Now back in 79, when when Dick Seavers and and Vernon Johnson planted NBC, they they believed that if we had 30 people, 38 people or so, we'd have enough people to start a church. 
but they weren't looking for a cultural club or someplace that people would come in and feel good about themselves and leave. They wanted to find a place that would be a, a movement within this community and a, and a game changer. And so what, what we've been doing as we've been going through the burden of 79 is we've been just analyzing our articles of faith and the scripture that supports them to see what does this all mean. And so we're going to be breaking down our answer to that question, how big a deal is the church? It starts off with this. We believe that all who place their faith in Jesus Christ are immediately baptized by the Holy Spirit into one united body, the church. Paul says it this way. He says, just as a body, the one has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. Remember what, what Pastor Jason, he, he preached the last two weeks. Wasn't that great? Like, if you haven't had a chance to go back, especially last week, I, want, I wish every new Christian have, has a chance. We're going to try to make it possible that every Christian that come, becomes a Christian at our church gets a chance to hear what Pastor Jason said last week. Look online, hear it out, because it's basically from being saved on, what is, how does God finish his work in my life? And it's called sanctification. But here's the thing. God is not interested in just saving you and finishing his work in you. As soon as you got saved, you were part of something bigger than you. You were woven into a family. And the cool thing is Paul's saying this is countercultural in a time where slavery was legal. And people said, you know what? You're valuable because of your, how much money you have, what class you're in, if you're a male or a female. Paul's like, uh-uh, maybe out there. But guess what? In Christ, you have equal footing. You are all equally valuable to him, and you're all equally part of this family. There is no hierarchy here. I don't care what skin color you are, you're part of God's palette. And because of that, your whole neighborhood might say that you are lower value because of how you look. But guess what? The person who matters most, whose opinion about you matters most, the person who created the people who are judging you, he looks at you as part of his family. And you get to be a part of this, this blended group of people that are totally different from each other, but you're one. You're no longer, God's not just saving you for you to catch up with you in heaven. He's not just going, okay, it's just, Nate, it's you and me till heaven. He's like, Nate, you got saved. Now you're part of a family. In fact, I love how Celebrate Recovery describes that uh, as far as someone being a part of a forever family. That's what we see as Christians. We aren't rescued to be individually saved. And that's an American thing. I've got a personal relationship with God. That's good. But you're not saved to be just you and God. You're brought into a family. We aren't rescued to be individually saved, but to be woven into a forever family. Amen? That's huge. So in other words, the church, the church is community. Let's continue on. It says, we believe that the head of the church is Errol McFadden. True? No. We believe that the head of the church is the Pope. No? We believe that the head of the church is who? Jesus Christ and those serving as leaders in the church over the assembly are elders, also called bishops and pastors, and deacons, both of whom must fit biblical qualifications. Biblical qualifications are basically this. You're an imperfect human being, but you're trying to live by example. You, you're not going to be overly angry or quarrelsome or starting fights. You're not going to love money too much. You're not going to love Miller too much. You're going to be someone who's actually, someone who's following Jesus with all of your heart, able to teach and someone who's able to lead others, but you're not the leader. Who's the leader? Jesus. Because, and let's just make this a very, very stark understanding. You've got Jesus, and you've got Errol. Which of the two is perfect? Yeah, you didn't even have to think about it. <laughs> it's something about that seat. Someone in last service said the same thing. It's like the heretic seat. No, okay, so 
Jesus. Jesus is the one who's perfect. And that means that as, as a church, we, the whole thing about like, I just can't do church because it's such a man-made thing. I just hate organized religion. You know, and you've heard, you've heard this before. The only thing worse than organized religion, you know what the only thing worse than organized religion is? Disorganized religion. The idea of I can do this alone. You can't. You can't do it alone. But you also have to realize that God has put leaders in place, imperfect human beings like this guy. That means that you follow the lead, but you, this guy isn't God. You can call him out. You can lovingly ask, say, hey, guess what? You messed up there. Why can you do that? Because this guy isn't above you. He's on equal standing with you. He's just a person that God has called to lead this congregation for this time. But the person who's the head of the church is Jesus. If we continue on, we can see that the church is community, not a human-made or human-led organization, but a Christ-crafted and Christ-directed movement. You don't, you're not a part of a church because the people that are, the humans that are leading that church are the best. You're a part of a church because Jesus is the best and the church is his bride. Amen? Okay, moving on. We believe that the purpose of the church is to, what? Why do we show up? We gather because we're here to glorify God. Why did we pull ourselves out? We got an extra hour of sleep, I know. But why are we here? Why are we here and somewhat caffeinated? Because we're here to glorify God and to build ourselves up in the faith by instruction in the word, by fellowship, by keeping the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. We're going to be talking about those in upcoming weekends. And by advancing and communicating the gospel to the entire Manuka area. No, to the entire Grundy County. No, to what? The entire world. And this is so huge because what we need to recognize is this. The church is a community, not a human-made or human-led organization, but a Christ-crafted, Christ-directed movement intended to what? If you're part of a movement that's not moving, it's not a movement. It's a bingo club, but it's not a movement. And a lot of times churches are like, I just am so happy we're together. No, we're not here just to be together. We're here to, we're here to be a movement. That was Jesus' vision. Listen to what Jesus said before he went back to be with the Father. He said this. After rising from the grave, he tells his followers that he's trained up. He says this. Therefore, go and make disciples. People like me. I've trained you to be like me. People like me and now people like you. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And surely I'm with you always. I know that you're freaking out because you know that I'm like physically leaving you. And you're like, Are we, we're doing this alone? I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Yeah, but Jesus, you're physically leaving. We are so inept. There's no way we could pull this off. Luke records in Acts 1.8, one of his final lines to his, his followers is, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is the mission. So all of a sudden, you've got this amazing picture of the fact that when Jesus rises from the grave, all of a sudden, this mission and this movement gets launched. And all of a sudden, people are like, okay, Jesus said that this is not just for Jerusalem. And so we're going to go, actually, can we just stay in Jerusalem? Because seriously, I know that he said go, but maybe he was just being figurative. Maybe he meant stay with intent to go at some point. Because I know my neighbors and they need Jesus. So why don't we just stick around here and just Maybe we let the going to be someone else. And so God's like, go, like, stay. And so God said, 
persecution. All of a sudden, persecution comes in Jerusalem. Okay, we're going, we're going, woo! And so all of a sudden, people are going and going, and the church is exploding. People all of a sudden are going into other areas. They had to because their houses were burned down. They're getting out of town, and they're going into Asia, and they're going into Europe, and they're telling people about Jesus, and the church is just moving this direction. But all, all along the way, they're not, they're, they're having to battle the whole, like, the tendency to stay. And they have to come back to the mission, which is go, go, go. And so they're, all of a sudden, you know, they're at a point where, like, wow, we just got this great church in Ephesus, this great church in Thessalonica, this great church in Philippi. Maybe we should just stay. We don't see that. You know what we see? We see like, okay, we got this great church. These guys have just become Christians. We got to take people from this congregation and go someplace else. So Bill, Ted, excellent adventure. Come on, you guys are going over here and you're moving on out this way. And people, you, what we don't have recorded anywhere is people along this saying, but we love Bill. We don't want him to go. We're friends with Ted, his whole family. His wife taught my kid piano. I don't want to see them go. If they go, they're not with us. We don't hear that recorded anywhere. Do you know why? Because these people knew the mission. And the mission was this. We can catch up with Bill and Ted in eternity. We've got forever with Bill and Ted. But we only have a handful of years on this planet where we can reach those who are lost, who don't know Jesus. And so Bill, Ted, boom, Thessalonica. And all of a sudden, the church just continues to get growing, growing, growing. And all of a sudden, it's now legalized in the Roman Empire. And it's going across the, the Atlantic Ocean. And now, all of a sudden, this happened. And then something crazy starts to happen. People are building cathedrals. People are like, we have, to, we have like power bills. We gotta, we, we're like trying to respond to the government and everything else. And something terrible starts to take place. Where the church starts to flatline. And then all of a sudden, we see what we've already described. This is called... Mission entropy. Mission entropy is what happens in any type of business, any type of organization, any type of movement when you forget the mission or the movement. Any, any, we, we start out, we want to bring this product to everyone because we really believe in it. And then all of a sudden it starts to explode. And then up here, you forget about what happened down here. And all you're trying to do up here, you're not thinking mission, you're thinking maintenance. How do we maintain our numbers? How do we maintain our income? How do we maintain our profit? Whatever. As a church, this happens too. And I would say, without any fear of pushback, that the reason why the church in the United States is doing this is not because of any book written by Richard Hawkins or, or, or any, any other type of new atheism or scientific discovery. Or anything. That's, no. The reason is because we have a church throughout our country that has been more focused in maintaining and building bigger and bigger on one property rather than the idea of we need to keep on sending Bill and Ted out, Bill and Ted out. We're part of a forever family. So we're going to catch up with each other in eternity, but we need to send Bill and Ted out. The thing is that as a, as a church, we need to be the type of people that are constantly thinking of this. And, and so as a church, the way that we step into this is we step into our mission by stepping into our mission statement. And, and this, this is what I would, I would encourage you to do. If you actually want to return to the burden, not just of 79, but of, of 1 A.D., I would say, first off, being real with God. That whole like, mission statement, we've said this before, but Pastor Carlos came up with it over 10 years ago. We were trying to figure out what we're all about. What is the mission that Jesus has given us as Manuka Bible Church? And he talked about how there's three relationships that every person, every Christian on planet Earth has. A relationship with God, a relationship with other Christians, and a relationship with everybody else. So what if we had a church where we're trying to be authentic and living out what Christ called us to do with God and 
with other Christians and with everyone else. And so after a person has received the gospel, you're now woven into a family, and so your first action step is to be real with God. And the action step for us is to faithfully gather. There's something radically imperative about what you're doing right here. Like, I'm looking around, all of you, I love it. I love it, I love it, I love it. You know why I love it? It's not because I really hate seeing great chairs. Not filled. That means nothing. I love it because there's something that I get a chance to see in God better with each of you here. There's something about God that you get to see better with each of us here than if you stayed home. If someone says, I, just, I think I could do my Christianity without being plugged into a local church, sure, if it's not Christianity. Sure, if it's not Jesus you're following. Because he seemed to have a really high view on what happens here. Paul put it this way in the book of Ephesians. So Christ himself gave the apostles. This is like, so Christ himself is establishing the church. Gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Why? To equip his people for the works of service. We gather because when we gather here, we get something to go out and do it. It's not just let's listen to the professionals. Let's gather here, get something and go out. Equip people for service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Why? Until we all reach unity in the faith. You ever felt like you didn't feel connected with people? Part of the reason we don't feel connected is because we're not faithfully alongside other Christians gathering for worship. If you're not faithfully gathering alongside other Christians for worship, you're going to feel disconnected. You'll reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. Okay, so it's, not, it's, it's worse than even being unified. You're not going to have a full picture of Jesus unless that's something that you're a part of. If you're not, if you're not you, you're, there's going to be Jesus you're going to miss out on if you're just chillaxing. Reach out in unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The whole measure of the fullness of Christ is given to those who are faithfully connecting and worshiping God alongside other believers. That's something that if you are not faithfully connecting and worshiping God alongside other believers, you don't experience. You will have a part of the fullness of Christ in your life, but you will not have the full picture according to Scripture. See, the way I put it is God didn't want to give you a book, a GPS, and then send you alone into a forest to find yourself. He wanted to weave you into a family so that together you could find him. That's what God has intended. That's what he wants. And so our, our challenge is to, to, is to find a service and connect and be there. I, I love it if you, like, as you guys are mingling out, because you, you generally, again, we've said this before, you sit generally in the same places. I mean, Mike and Heather, you're a couple rows back, but I mean, generally the same areas. And I would say find people and do lunch with, do life with, connect with. These people are in the same area every single week, so just get together with them. Make it something that is faithful. If you wanted to get good, at a sport, how often would you practice that sport with your team? Maybe every day. And actually, that's what these guys were doing. This was such an important thing that they were every day meeting together in the synagogue and the temple courts and, and each other's houses. It, it, the idea is that, that we, we gather together because this is something about who we are. This is, this is who we are. And if you really wanted to get to know someone, how often should you date that person? Once every five weeks is fine. I mean, you can get to know a lot of person every other month, okay? I mean, so it's not a big deal. No, the reality is, is that this is a frequent, weekly investment if you want it to train you into the person that God wants to train you. Um, one of the things that, again, I want, I want to make sure that my son knows, and he does know how to change a spare tire. That's good, because he's going to hit a flat at some point. 
But the one, it's not just enough if you're a parent to teach your kid how to change a spare tire. You have to also tell them, this is a spare tire. This is not a real tire. It's not like, sweet, I'm set for life now. You ride on that spare tire for too long, and what's going to happen? It's going to mess up your car. It's going to mess up your alignment. It's going to mess up, your, you're going to have a terrible, terrible time. Like, but it looked like a tire. Yes, it's a spare Tire. And that, that's how, how, we, how we look at online streaming. Online streaming is amazing. We get a chance to connect with people that aren't able to make it to their home church. Um, today, Sandy is watching. And so, Sandy, I'm so excited that you're watching today. And there's people that, that whether they're sick or they've just gotten out of surgery or they're in, on vacation, they want to stay connected with Manuka Bible Church. It's so great to have online streaming. But guess what? It's a spare. If you rely on online streaming for church, it's going to mess up your life. Because it's not a long-term solution for church. You will miss out on who God is and who you are if you don't make the aim to be here on a weekly basis, pouring into being able to worship God alongside other believers. The next step is to be real with each other. And we believe strongly, and the only way to be real with other Christians is to have face-to-face engagement. And that's why we're a big fan of groups. Like, not just fan, we believe in groups. We've got groups in kids' ministries, and junior high ministries, and high school ministries, adult ministries. We've got master's men. We've got mom's connection. We've got, we've got groups that are real-life groups that mean people's homes. We, we're all about groups. Celebrate Recovery Step Studies are groups. These are groups because you get a chance to be around God's word and have a face-to-face interaction and be able to do this. I'm struggling with my faith. In fact, I really am doubting my faith right now. And I just need to be honest about that. I don't know if I even believe anymore. And to have a place that's not going to judge you. To be able to say, I don't understand what you just said, which is awkward if you did that when I'm talking. To have a place where you could actually say to someone, listen, we've been in the same small group for like six months, and how, how's your marriage doing? Because everyone's marriage hits rough points. My wife and I, we just hit a really rough point. How's your marriage doing? And have a place where you could actually be honest. You don't have to fake it to make it. And ultimately end up with an exploded marriage because no one ever asked you at this point, or this point, or this point. If you're in a real life group, I want to challenge you to start digging into people's lives in a loving, caring way and letting people speak into yours. It's just amazing. Um, Paul, and for two reasons. One, you need it to grow. Paul identified that you are, again, you're woven into a family, and so you need to engage as a family. He says, you're a royal people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, and you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. But newsflash, it's hard to follow God. If you're in junior high, high school, or you're 55 years old, it's hard to follow Jesus, and you weren't intended to follow him alone. You are, you are now part of a people. Once you were not a people, but now you're a people of God. Once you had no, not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You need a group. If you're not in a group, you can sign up for a group today. We want to see you in a group. But not only that, you're, you're also, you, you need to be in a group because you're weird. And I'm weird. Someone said amen. Thank you, Al. Appreciate that. <laughs> I see the hand. You're weird. If you're a Christian, you are a weirdo. You're weird. Weird. And some of you might be like, I am not weird. I am dignified. Well, then you need Jesus, okay? Because here's the deal. The scriptures seem to say that people who were following Jesus were weird and foolish compared to the culture. The culture couldn't figure them out. In the Roman times, there was this this guy named um, Suetonius who said Christians aren't even humans. They're like another species. 
because of how they choose. And, and uh, the pastor and author, Tim Keller, pointed out that this is some of the things that separated Christians and made them so weird in the first century. They didn't go to the blood and violent gladiator festivals, which made them appear antisocial. Uh, they wouldn't serve in the military to support Caesar's power-hungry wars, which made them seem anti-government. Uh, they were against abortion and infanticide. Back then, if you had a daughter, it was not a big deal. Like, if you didn't want a daughter, you just take, because she's a girl, you could take her out and just dash her against the rocks. And everyone was okay with that. Except for who? Christians. Because Christians said, no, everyone has value, no matter your gender. You have value. You are life. And, and people are like, you guys are just so repressed. Why would you even believe that? Christians uh, empowered women in a society that did not. They were against sex outside of marriage, which made them super weird. They were against same-sex practice, which made them super weird. They were absolutely for the poor and marginalized. They mixed races and classes and valued diversity, which in a tribal society was so taboo because you want purity of your tribe, of your ethnicity, of your national origin. You don't get weak by mixing, but Christians did, and they thought that it was awesome. And on top of that, they believed that Christ was the only way to salvation, which made them be called atheists because they denied all these other gods and said that they're all false. We don't believe in these gods. And they said any one of these Christian gatherings are atheistic gatherings. It's interesting, Tim Keller put it, pointed it out this way. If you took that list and you just like took out some of them, and, you, you just, and if we were going to just describe someone today, and said, what would you call a person today that's against like violent festivals and is against serving in the military and uh, empowers women and is all about uh, diversity and uh, values the poor and marginalized? What would you call that person? And honestly, we'd probably call that type of person <laughs> a bunch of liberals. Look at these liberals. And if you took the opposite side of the list and you said this, this type of person is against abortion, they're against sex outside of marriage, the prude, they're against same-sex practice, and they believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation, you probably describe that person as, man, this is a bunch of conservatives, the people that I don't even want to live next to. Isn't it amazing that in the first century, Christians didn't fit? They didn't fit. The categories were busted by Christians because they couldn't get land in one party or the other very, very nicely. And isn't it odd and amazing that we still don't fit? Tim Keller put it this way. We're still aliens. We don't fit into Western relativistic individualism, and we don't fit into traditional hierarchical legalism. We just don't fit. We don't fit conservative. We don't fit liberal. We've always been aliens. There's never been a culture we fit in. And the truth is, is that we don't fit. If you find yourself fitting in culture, or even if you find yourself perfectly fitting into a political party, ask some harder questions. Tuesday, we're all gonna, I, mean, I encourage you, if you're, if you're registered to vote, vote. I mean, we've, got, we've been given an opportunity to have a voice as individuals in this country. That's, that's awesome. But recognize that what you're doing as a Christian is you're basically saying, I'm gonna do the best job I can to try to vote for someone who I think is gonna be advancing God's view of this world the best that I can. And that doesn't neatly fit Republican, Democrat, or anarchist. It doesn't. <laughs> it just doesn't. But I can vote. I can vote with my conscience. But I can recognize that as a Christian, I'm in a different culture. And I've got to embrace my weirdness. But part of that is that I need to be alongside other weirdos that are following Jesus, realizing they too do not fit neatly into the culture. Amen?
Amen. Thirdly, we, we, we take the step of being real in the world, which is basically us saying this. If we're aliens in this world, oh, by the way, that was Peter. He, he was the one who said, you're aliens and strangers in this world. That means that you're out of place, but you're not like a hater of the community that you're in. You may be a foreigner. He says, he says, you're foreigners. And the person might be like, yeah, hold on a second though. I've been living in this community for 40 years. When did you become a Christian? Three weeks ago. From that point on, you're a weirdo. You're a foreigner. You're an exile. Well, hold on a second. I, I look like all of my neighbors. I'm ethnically and nationally alike. Right. When did you become a Christian? Three days ago. From that moment on, you're a different person and you're always going to stick out. But guess what? You're not called to hate on your culture or attack your culture. You're called to love it. You're called to love your culture because Jesus loves those people. So that means that you love the people in Braidwood. You love the people in Morris and Shorewood and Manuka. You love the people in Plainfield. You love, the, you love all these people because you're recognizing that God has called us to be people that are aliens and strangers in this land who are representing the king who made them. And so we're real in this world. That means that as a church, what we're, we need to constantly be doing is saying, how do we raise up people, not just so we get a bigger and bigger and bigger church, because that's, again, that's flatline maintenance thinking, thinking. It's not missional thinking. We need to be the type of people that say, we, we, we need to raise up people in this church who know how to do children's ministry and youth ministry and greet and teach and all these different things and tech and all that. And then we need to, we need to send people out. We need to say, Bill and Ted need to go on this excellent adventure. And when all those people leave in that type of a situation, guess what? New people need to step in and say, I'm going to take Bill's spot. I'm going to take Ted's spot. And that is something that we as a church, this is going to be a, this, any church, whether you've got 80 people or 80,000 people, it needs to be a factory raising up new leaders and sending out, new leaders and sending out, new leaders and sending out, not maintaining. That's an old missional entropy model that will die with any church that practices it. And they'll die foreign to the mission that Jesus gave. So, as a church, well, we need to be the type of people, and I want to challenge you to start conditioning, to take steps to say, how can I step in to serving? How do I step into serving here right now? There are needs, even, even though we're all here together, we have needs at this church that, that need to be met by people who step in. Whether, whether it's um, like, I can fix things around this church. We've got a, a new, brand new facilities team that are going to be going around with people who know what they're doing and fixing aspects to the, of the physical body of this building. There, we need people that are working with kids ministries and moms connect ministries and the coffee ministry and first impressions, all that. As well as the other ministries that are out there that are intended to plug you in with one another. One of the tables out there has got this logo on it. Um, this is what Ali Selk was talking about. This is our Endeavor team. And I love Ryan Coleman. He's our graphics guy. He designed this up. And I love the, the design uh, of that we're going out. We're going out. Because the Endeavor team is like, we need to be going out and being real in the world. But you know what I love about his design that I didn't realize till yesterday? The arrows aren't just going out. If you look at it closer and you fill in the back, you realize the arrows are coming in. We gather so that we can go. The church gathers so we go. You know why you come to church? So you can leave. You come to church so that you can leave different. You come to church so that you can leave with the gospel message. You come to church to be filled up, but that you're also serving. Outside there, as soon as you leave, you're going to see tables that are yellow. Those yellow tables are all things that are intended to build you up, to gather together alongside other believers that can help you in a group connect with who God has intended you to be. And there's also going to be tables that are going to have like a greenish color. And those, all the greenish 
colored tables are things that are things that we need you to step into as far as volunteering and stepping in and being a part of the team. I want to challenge you to answer that question. How big a deal is the church with massive? The church is the hope of the world. Are you a part of it? Let's stand for prayer. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for the fact that church is not and cannot be simply something that we show up to, that we check off on a list so we feel like we've done you a favor, we feel better about ourselves, or even, God, that we, we had an opportunity to get something out of it. God, help us reprogram our brain with realizing that the church is the launching pad for your mission for a lost world. We are missionaries. Lord, I pray that you help every believer in this room see themselves as a missionary, that when they walk by the mission screens out in the atrium and they see missionaries that we support globally, that they'll expect their picture to cycle in on the next slide, knowing that they too are missionaries right here at home. I pray, God, that you help this church be the type of church that is real with you, real with each other, and real in the world that we occupy for your glory and for the good of others. And we will give you the thanks and the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Hit those tables. We'll see you next week.